Welcome to season three of Moving the Needle on our Wicked Problems podcast. This is so exciting to be back uh, with another season packed full of interesting speakers and insights and guests to discuss some of the really, you know, really difficult problems facing our society and they somehow seem to keep growing. So it's a good time to kick this off again. What do you think, Paul? Well, I just want to say welcome back, Senator. <clears throat> I'm excited to be with you for season three. Um, yeah, I think we can, you know, build off a very successful couple seasons, you know, bring on some guests, have topics that will, you know, not only inform our listeners, but challenge their ideas and perspectives. So we're kicking off our season three with the question and the context around a really important relationship, that between Canada and Germany. In the last year, there has been lots of talk and strengthening of the relationship. Uh, the Prime Minister and our Governor General have traveled to Germany and more recently, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited Canada. This shows that Canada and Germany have a long and lasting relationship and one that they clearly want to grow. Yeah, absolutely, Senator. And you know, this is definitely an important one. Uh, we have, you know, very big geopolitical challenges that both countries face. You know, the brutal invasion by Russia and Ukraine, and that's impact being felt around the world, but especially in Europe. You know, we have mass migration and how to deal with people on the move, either economic migrants or refugees. These are just some of the topics that we covered today. So let's get to the interview. There is no one better to help us understand the relationship between Germany and Canada than my guest, uh, Ambassador Sabine Sparwasa, the ambassador of Germany to Canada. She knows Germany obviously very well, but she knows Canada actually really, really well, having lived in Canada in various postings and now having Canadian family as well. So no one better to get us started off on this subject. But let's get to know you a little, Ambassador. I'd like to know what it was like for you to grow up in Germany, especially during the Cold War. Uh, Germany, of course, is very different uh, today than it was then. Try and build an imaginative bridge for us back to the past. Yeah, well, I was born in 58 and I lived, grew up in the Rhineland and that was the part um, that um, uh, was under French uh, um, uh, direction and um, uh, we still at that time, I still do remember being a child and actually totally forbiddenly playing in um, house ruins, you know, in these houses where you have the sinks hanging from the walls and um, they were condemned, but they were still there, the ruins were still there. And I also do remember um, when I was a kid in school that we did these uh, uh, exercises where kids would, would um, uh, for a bomb alarm, have to go under the desk. Um, so that still existed at the same time in my, basically in my youth and in my life. Um, 
the trajectory was so upwards. Germany was recovering economically. We were joining the European uh, structures that became the European Union. Uh, we were friends with all our, our neighbors. Everything was getting better all the time um, for a very long time. So it's actually, um, it was a very, very positive time to to live in, to grow up in, because it was a time of peace and prosperity all in all. And, uh, you know, and then over, we went over to uh, 1989 and the extraordinary happiness of unification. And, you know, there was that feeling everything is going to get better and um, soft power will reign. And um, then things didn't turn out to be like. You know, I'm thinking as you take us back in time, uh, Madam Ambassador, that you probably grew up as a child in the best time in Europe. Yeah, that's right. Post Second World War, reconstruction, reunification, the growth of social liberal yeah. values, really brilliant. And now you are at one of the highest levels of your country, representing your country's aspirations and desires in Canada. What drove you to become a diplomat? Um, yeah, I wasn't my first choice. I wanted to be a journalist. Ah. And I worked as a freelance journalist in Paris and studied in Paris. But I also worked for two professors who were both um, uh, at Sciences Po, who were both um, uh, uh, professors of German origin, German Jewish origin, um, uh, and who both worked extremely hard for. Uh, reconciliation and the growing together of Germany and France and the growing together of Europe as a peace project. And I think that is, those were the two people, Alfred Grosser and Joseph Gorbon, who really um, in sort of instilled this enthusiasm, also because of their personal history, um, because of um, they were Jews persecuted and driven from Germany and um, uh, were lucky to escape the Holocaust. And um, uh, that part of history too um, was my, my motivator in, in, many, in many ways to um, uh, sort of be part, a small part, small wheel um, in a country uh, that stands against such things ever happen again. So, fast forward to today, Canada and Germany have never had a stronger relationship. Uh, I think you can take a great deal of credit for that, Madam Ambassador, outside world factors that nobody could, uh, could imagine. I heard you say recently that we're such good friends that we complete each other's sentences. We can. What is... What is all this based on? Can you tell me? Yeah, it's very interesting. I think we, um, I, uh, I think about it a lot. I mean, Germany is, we're federal countries. That's important. We're countries that um, uh, um, put a high importance on harmony and sort of consensus. Uh, decision making. I mean, peace, order, and good governance stands very, uh, it's, it's a high value in the uh, Canadian uh, uh, constitution, and it's very high. These, these notions are very high in the German, um, uh, German reality. Um, 
we are we do have joint values we do have um joint values when it comes to human rights when it comes to gender rights um we um are also as nations very complementary because um in um canada canada is a huge vast country um uh, with um so many natural resources and with this tiny highly industrialized a country with 83 million people on it and um so the complementarity uh, is enormous and we're actually only starting to develop all the cooperation that we could have but i think it's also it's a mentality as well we have uh, between canada and germany an outstanding science cooperation for example we have mm-hmm. 800 science cooperations and every time i bring people together into a um uh, kind of a uh, uh, meeting uh, they come out and they've started another project it's just because we fit we fit and we fit in terms of germany's aspirations necessity uh to be uh independent or more independent in in natural resources and gas and canada has some potential the would you want to comment on the green hydrogen deal which is pumping us all up in a significant way um when do you think it will go beyond aspiration to reality this is our biggest job right now so the hydrogen deal was um the the green hydrogen deal was the biggest outcome of this very very successful uh, visit chancellor uh, scholz and vice uh, chancellor habeck paid to uh, canada and i have to say the canadian government was there all the way the prime minister accompanied the trip uh, from start to finish um and um we had many many different other areas and successes but the green hydrogen deal is basically the establishment of a green energy bridge across the atlantic and um the problem about green hydrogen has always been uh, it's new it's a technology that's been known for a while but there hasn't really been a market so everybody says oh we can't invest there comes a point when you want to go to a revolutionary new technology where you need the big investment and the buy in of countries and uh, this is what happened in stevenwell in newfoundland we had both governments there we had businesses there the provinces or the atlantic provinces premiers had come and basically what we agreed on was we germany are going to be the off takers for green hydrogen produced uh, in atlantic canada uh, we want to establish technology partnerships with uh, the ones producing it and on the canadian side uh, the um it assurance is we are going to cut red tape we are going to help get the regulations right so that um the technology the wind farms the electrolyzers can be put up very soon and um uh, and um uh, we will help uh, to try and get investment going so if you bring all of these elements together and you have the buy in of the provinces which we do uh, there is a very good chance that this is actually 
uh, a fabulous start to um, to really a new energy bridge. So the energy bridge wouldn't just go for green hydrogen, it could also go for critical minerals, for example. Uh, and if you look at the situation of uh, Atlantic Canada, it's close to Europe. It's not densely populated. It has the perfect wind conditions. And it also has, from its time uh, uh, in in World War II, it has deep sea ports and the whole infrastructure that it's needed. So I think uh, we're onto a really big thing and we're at the start. We put down the fundamentals and this is now my biggest job to make it work. Now, you know, much of the this discussion obviously is is has been started, you know, with the backdrop of probably the biggest issue geopolitically in the last you know number of years really and that's the invasion uh by Russia in Ukraine um you know it's sort of created maybe stronger alliances NATO has been emboldened maybe a few a couple new members of NATO the EU has been strengthened um but it doesn't seem to slow down you know, Russia, and obviously there's been talk about, you know, potential of, of even more catastrophic things of nuclear uh, attacks. What do you think Canada, Germany, and the rest of Europe and NATO can do to, you know, help Ukraine win back their land, but then eventually, hopefully, get to some sort of peace, uh, you know, in, in, in this situation? Yeah. I know. I, I, um, uh, two days ago, I met um, uh, my Ukrainian colleague and we looked and counted. We're at day 226 now of that war, which we thought would take five days. A lot of people said, oh my God, in five days after five days of Russian onslaught, um, uh, Ukraine will not able to be able to resist. Ukraine has shown incredible resilience and bravery and its people have really shown they do want their freedom, they want their independence, but they're not just fighting for themselves. They're fighting um, for um, freedom and for Europe as well. So, I mean, uh, the, the, it's very clear that we will ha have to do everything in our power and we will stand with them as long as it takes uh, to push back that Russian attack. Um, we have done a lot. And the Americans um, foremost have done a lot. And I think uh, the fact, uh, obviously, with uh, the very modern um, uh, arms that have been provided to Ukraine and with their incredible skill, um, they have been able to push back the attack and they are able actually right now in the oblast to pushing back the attack every day a little bit. So we will have to continue to do that. Germany is more than ready to do more. And um, uh, just today, I think we had news that we're giving more of these very high tech weapons, like there's a, a, a counter battery radar, very important, or these Hofitzers, these modern Hofitzers, very effective. Uh, so it, this continues. The flow of what we uh, can provide continues. Unfortunately, you know, these uh, it takes time to build those things. So we're sometimes not as fast as we would like to be. But we are providing uh, Ukraine with that crucial military help. But in a bigger context, we're obviously also providing 
uh, Ukraine with massive between uh, the individual states and the EU, massive financial help, humanitarian help. Uh, we by now have a million Ukrainians in Germany and we welcome more. Um, um, and um, the next step is also one that's going to be taken very soon, which is uh, beyond um, uh, the horror that's happening now in Ukraine, uh, to look at rebuilding Ukraine. And Germany and the EU together will this month um, host a donors conference where we already look towards what are the needs, how this is going to be Europe's um, uh, uh, greatest um, uh, obligation to see that Ukraine can come back onto its feet and then to smooth the path uh, of a Ukraine joining the European Union. So that perspective is the one we're working for. And I think that's also the light at the end of the tunnel for Ukrainians. And to have that solidarity. And Canada is a very strong partner. Canada knows Ukraine extremely well. You have so many Ukrainians. You've done very much for training them and making them such good, um, good soldiers too. Um, uh, and uh, we do, um, yeah, we do count on Canada to continue to be that strong and staunch partner of Ukraine in this. And, and what do you think about the sort of where Germany is now and and the political leadership on their? position on Russia and 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 a relationship with Russia. Obviously, there has been uh, tried to be closer ties. Energy needs of Germany were being fed by Russia and gas and that sort of thing. Where is Germany now on this relationship? Mm. Obviously, you, you articulated, you know, uh, everything that Germany is doing, but has there been a rethink to this relationship? Oh, yeah. I think the 24th of uh, February, um, uh, we call it Zeitenwende. Uh -huh. it, it was a total sea change. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, uh, geography, you can't change it. So to have tried to bind or to, to have Russia be part of a European um, security structure, um, that is something uh, I, I think was, um, was the right thing to do for many years. But to have not seen the signs that Russia didn't want to be part of that structure and that Russia had imperialistic ambitions, uh, we should have seen that much earlier. And uh, our president's, our president has actually uh, voiced um, uh, that and has said how wrong uh, we read the signs and we should have reacted much, much earlier and actually listened to countries who kept telling us um, that um, uh, Russia has bad intentions and we shouldn't be um, uh, giving ourselves into that much of a dependence. Now, um, uh, I've just read or earlier uh, read another, the, the, the recent speech given by um, Vladimir Putin and I find it, it, it is really spooky uh, because uh, he, he nearly does, or he talks just a little bit about the war uh, against Ukraine and a little bit about the annexations, but most of it, he draws a big picture on how he is the one defending the world against mm. the West and he has to fight the West. And then there are some allies of the West who are um, actually not really allies, 
because they're colonized. And that, and he mentions Germany in that uh, respect. So, I mean, you see a much broader picture. See, I mean, he made it very clear that um, this is much, much more an attack on, on, on all of us in the West. And I do believe Germany is very much in his focus. He lived in Germany. He was there when for him the traumatic thing happened, the fall of the wall. And um, he was in Dresden in his office and he had to run away from the mob who um, uh, wanted to storm, uh, to storm his office. So for him, it was the biggest catastrophe. Um, and for us, it was the greatest moment in our history. I mean, a, uh, a, a dictator that is backed into a corner that's having maybe delusions is not a good position for for everyone to be in and the world to be in. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And I, I wanted to talk because you had mentioned it earlier about rebuilding Ukraine, hopefully sooner than later. Uh, maybe in, in essence, there are some rebuilding going on now in the yeah. areas that that Ukraine has has liberated or at least held on to at least at the beginning of the war as well. Uh, one of the things that Canada did uh, just recently, uh, they passed in June was, and this was obviously the senator's lead. She started with this as a private uh, Senate bill, and then it, it became a part of a government legislation about using the sanctions regime so Canada can sanction individuals or entities. They've sanctioned over a thousand Russians uh, that have assets in Canada. And the idea is not only to freeze their assets, but to repurpose their assets, confiscate and then repurpose to help the victims of uh, of this brutal war in Ukraine. I'm wondering, is that something that's taking hold in Ukraine or in, in Germany? Sure. Um, is there or also what is the vision of Germany about the rebuilding of Ukraine and how they want to participate in that? Uh, we have had some discussions or the senator has with some green members of the coalition and, uh, and, and German government that are interested in these ideas. So I'm just curious about where that mm -hmm. is. Well, I, I was intrigued by that idea long time ago when you started that, Ratna. And I did a lot of reporting home because I thought this is, um, uh, it's not just symbol politics. It, it really, really is um, um, a very strong, it's a strong message. It also, I mean, people have considerable means. They hide in Europe and elsewhere. And also it would be um, a sense of justice done for population. So I felt it had all the elements of being a brilliant, um, a brilliant proposal. And I reported home and I received quite a bit of interest. Um, we had um, uh, 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 in particular social democratic um, uh, politicians here who took the proposal home and wanted to want to lobby for it. Um, I think you will probably find between sort of the Green Party, the um, Social Democratic Party in Germany, there's a lot of interest for the proposal. It does run against a difficulty that the German constitution protects property. property right. mm. And uh, so pro property rights, it was something we ran, it's a difficulty we ran into also after unification, you know, sort of returning or how do you go about it? And um, we have a pretty strong protection of property, private property. 
And uh, also, you run into the problem that um, these oligarchs or um, dictators are pretty good at hiding uh, the ways in which they bring their money abroad. And uh, again, this it's not easy to overcome. Having said that, I still think it's a, it's a project that we uh, should be pursuing. And I know there are a number of people in Germany who will put proposals forward. I can't predict how it's going to end, but I think personally, I think it's a very worthwhile, very important proposal. And um, we, um, we were glad to report that the Canadian government took on your idea and um, uh, maybe we can get them uh, to uh, push it in the G7 and then we follow their lead. That would be, of course, wonderful. I just came back from Berlin where an MP told me, an, an MP who works on anti-corruption told me there are there is 100 billion euros of corrupt money in Germany annually. A lot of this is allied to the Russian oligarchs. Uh, so when when nation states are looking at how do we finance this in the short and the long term, uh, there's an idea. Let's shift gears to a subject you and I have talked about for many years, migration. Uh, we're both countries of migrants, immigrants, call them what you like. Uh, Germany has welcomed, God, a million Syrian refugees in 2016. Now you're welcoming a million temporary residents maybe from Ukraine, but your country has an aspiration uh, to grow and stabilize and prosper, prosper in many ways, and one of the policy levers is immigration. There's always been debate about a welcoming environment. You know, I, I lived in Germany when I was a young student and I was from India and exotic and everybody welcomed me, but I did notice how that welcome was not extended to the to the Gaza Things have changed a lot in Germany. So, can you talk to me a little bit about the climate in Germany today? How do Germans think about immigrants? Uh, mm -hmm. How do they welcome them? How do they inter integrate them? Is there a difference, as I'm sure there is, based on regionality? And how do you how do you figure all of these things out? That's a huge question, Ratna, and you can answer it better than I can. But um, yeah, the climate in Germany has changed significantly and Germany has accepted by now that it's an immigration country. We know we need it and we've uh, become such a multicultural uh, society uh, that it, 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 it has totally changed the way we look at this. Does that mean xenophobia and um, anti-immigration um, uh, uh, opinions are, are non-existent? Unfortunately not, no. And um, we do have one particular xenophobic right-wing party um, uh, that um, is actually, uh, has an agenda that's anti-immigration. But the mainstream in Germany, sort of the, the, the largest part of the population, um, knows and welcomes the idea that we have uh, people come and join us. Now, the point system that the Canadians have, where you look for people who are likely to succeed in, in your country, is an attractive one. 
Um, uh, and um, the coalition is actually, the government coalition is working on, on adapting our, our system to have that kind of point system. Uh, we will still in, take in refugees. Um, um, uh, and um, uh, uh, I, I do believe uh, there is a readiness to take in refugees. Would there be a readiness today, especially in an economic situation uh, where people are struggling and people, uh, you have to imagine, uh, people who are at the low income end, now their energy bills have doubled or tripled and they can't afford it. Would they welcome um, to have another sort of big wave of, of immigrants come in like 2015? Probably not, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, uh, Ukraine um, is, uh, is different uh, in the sense that, yeah, everybody understands uh, what is happening in Ukraine and that we need solidarity and, and um, uh, Ukrainians have been welcomed really with, with open arms in, in Germany and I think we'll continue to do that. But um, uh, I wouldn't want to predict that the climate um, uh, altogether uh, will not suffer in an economic recession, which we're going into. And the winter is going to be a hard time. And, you know, the, um, the war we're in is an energy war. It's, um, it's a food war when you look okay. at the global south, but it's also obviously an opinion war. It's a, it's a, it's a cyber war. And um, uh, uh, the, the attacks on our uh, population's cohesion, on our population's opinions are very visible and not without success. I think we need to be very, very careful about that because um, we need immigration. Um, we want to have it, but we should um, uh, really make sure that um, uh, that uh, the, the um, opinion, the, the, the public welcome uh, is there. We should help our, our population in that. You're absolutely right. Which way, whichever way the economy goes, that way goes the public sentiment and support uh, for immigration when people feel they don't have houses or they can't afford to rent them. It's yep. the same. It's the same narrative in Canada as well. Yep. Of course, it's a little bit more immediate in Germany because you're yep. facing a cold winter, and I'm I'm really hoping you all stay warm uh, because uh, it it it's 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 not an ideal situation to keep a whole population in in Europe. Uh, cold through the winters that I know you have. I, I just came back from Berlin and I have to say, uh, you know, I live in Toronto and we think of Toronto as a multicultural city, but really one has to go to Berlin to experience the kind of cultural multiculturalism that you can experience. It's absolutely brilliant. And in this conference I was at, there was a lot of talk about migration and 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 if there were two voices that were almost echoes of each other. It was Germany and Canada, values-based, forward-looking. Mm. It's it's um, and I I I in in the closing plenary I proposed that Canada and Germany go beyond dating and formalize their relationship on migration by by uh, developing a coordinated 
bilateral agreement mm -hmm. between the two countries on immigration selection, a credit, uh, foreign credential recognition, citizenship laws, uh, systems and protocols, which would take us beyond, you know, the nice sharing of best practices, but to actually agreeing possibly in the beginning uh, to at least explore a few processes and protocols together, such as, you know, we none of us know precisely how to qualify uh, uh, professionals who come from overseas in the shortest possible time so that they can meet the labor market's mm -hmm. needs. Yeah. What do you think of that idea? I think it's a perfect idea. You know, this is the time now. Um, we always have agreed on everything or virtually everything between Canada and, and Germany. And right now is the time to sort of turn that into concrete projects and yours is a fabulous one. I would add as the first thing mm -hmm. um, and beyond just um, uh, sort of best practices, first thing, the, um, the private sponsorship. I would, uh, your, your, uh, your project of a, of a real partnership um, could start with um, how do we do it with this private sponsorship program? Because we tried it out in Germany, but it wasn't much publicized. It didn't, um, it, uh, it didn't really work out that well. But if we could get a kind of um, like, like me, maybe even tutoring, working together on how do you do it? How do you bring uh, together, do pilot projects on it? I think this is one of the best immigration projects because not only, uh, does it give people immediately um, a, a welcoming group within the country, but it also gives citizens the feeling that they're involved. It's not immigration, it's not something that's happening to your community. It's something you're doing. And I think it creates yeah. a much better, a much, much better um, uh, agreement to it. Uh, you've given me uh, 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 a, an idea to start with because I was wondering how do I paint in the pictures in this agreement and you're absolutely right. As, as a private sponsor, I, I will tell you and my audience, uh, it, it's, it's a win, 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 win because the private sponsors also uh, gain a great deal uh, from, uh, from the experience. So Ambassador, our time is coming to a close. I have one final question for you. Canada does not have an ambassador hasn't named an ambassador to Berlin yet and we're all I'm sure you're also waiting with great excitement. Uh, what would what words of advice would you give to our new ambassador whoever he or she is? Huh. Very good question and I do look forward. I have to say with Stefan Dion the previous ambassador we worked like two bookends um, on on uh, on the same files and always sort of pushed things so that they came together. And uh, my first request to a new ambassador would be, please let us continue to do exactly that. And um, yeah, what what other advice? I mean, Canadians don't need it. Um, um, well, a, a good advice in Germany is also we are a small country, but we're also quite diverse. And uh, don't just think Berlin, 
is uh-huh. uh, is everything. Um, go into into all the parts of Germany, um, uh, but also um, enjoy because you're in one of the places where it, you are so beloved that um, it's a fun posting for any ambassador. I certainly experience uh, the admiration that Germans have for Canadians every time I go back. So thank you very much, Madam Ambassador. This has been very insightful, a great kickoff to our season. Thank you to our listeners. And if you have any questions or suggestions for topics or guest speakers, please do let let us know. Write to me on Twitter or to my Senate email. We, of course, would love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.